Look, if you have your Bibles, open it to the book of James, please. James chapter one, and last week, Pastor Austin took us through, and he, and he really mentioned three things. Uh, one, that, the test, that God, uh, there's a testing, that God tests his people. You will be tested from the Lord. Second is that there will be temptation, but God never tempts anyone to sin. He does not tempt us. And the third is that Jesus is our timeless treasure. The Lord Jesus is our treasure. We need to rest in him. So those are the three things. So as we lead into Father's Day this morning, I just want to open up with you a little bit. Uh, my dad's over teaching in the, the well for the kids' church, but uh, my dad is awesome, and I'm so blessed to have him. And when we were younger, uh, if, if you don't know my dad well, you won't realize that my sarcasm and joking really does come from him and his side of the family. If you just meet him casually, you will have no idea from that. You'll think I was adopted. But, uh, you know, apart, if you get to know him, and so whenever it was Father's Day, he would make a big deal. Yeah, it's Father's Day. And he would be like, you know, when I was young, he's like, oh, you got to tickle my back. You know, it's going to tickle me this morning. You know, just like he loved to have his back scratched and tickled, and so he'd want that. And, then, and I would just fill him in that, Dad, it's really Sunday. Think about it. Today's Sunday, right? And so I would point to the fact that it's Sunday, and every, every Sunday's Sunday, and so you should tickle my back. And uh, then he would quote the, the, loved, the beloved verse from parents from Ephesians 6, children, obey your parents in all things, for this is the will of the Lord, right? If you haven't been a parent, haven't said that, I don't know, but I, I, I think I've said it a few times. My response was always him, but dad, provoke not your children to wrath. You know, and so it's like, it's like the gospels are, it's like Jesus is teaching. It's real easy to quote a verse that makes you feel good, but if you take the broadness of it, there's some that come right there and penetrates you to your heart. So yeah, I was called to honor and obey my father then, but he was also called to not provoke me to wrath. So this morning, we're going to be talking from the book of James chapter 1 about wrath, about anger, what it means to be angry. You know, and so it's, it's hard sometimes because I found in parenting, it is difficult sometimes to keep your cool. Again. Right? I don't think any of us who've had kids in a home, whether they're adopted or incorporated to the family, where there's always just been this lovely flow of everything. The kids pick up their toys. Everything goes well. They say, yes, ma'am, no, ma'am, yes, sir, no, sir. You ask them to do their chores. I will do them, and I'll do them before you ask me to. Don't worry about it. It's on the calendar. You know, you, you, they just go around. They, they just can't wait. There's a season when that happens. There, I don't know the years exactly, but there was a season when, you know, the kids are little, they were just eager to do these little things to please you. It was so cool. You know, you get a coupon for Father's Day, you know, and it just sort of has like, I'll sell my soul, you know, because I love you. You know, I'll do whatever you ask, right? <laughs> then, you know, then it just changes somewhere. And, 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 that, and that's normal. But the, the resistance to growing and changing and becoming less angry is a big thing that all of us can learn from. Whether you're a father, a mother, a, a student, whatever, that all of us have these propensities in our flesh to do things and to be selfish 
and even to get angry. And some of you would go, no, I don't, Eric. I don't get angry. And I will go, you're a liar. <laughs> I, Laura and I, when we were uh, getting ready to get married, we were just married, we met this couple, and some of you will know them. I'm not going to say their names are not here, they're, they're, but um, they had been married 50-some years. And they looked at us, and they go, we've been married. And they looked at each other with a smile, and they said, and we've never had a fight. And I'm looking at Laura, and she's looking at me, and I'm like going, our marriage is doomed. <laughs> We're doomed. We are done for. You know, because, you know, we had already messed that record up big time. You know, just falling down. And so, you know, this, and, and I don't believe them either, by the way. I, and so... And here's my thing, and they were really cool people, but there is one thing we view oftentimes that anger is that loud outburst where we stomp around and we, we say things that we shouldn't say, and we, we elevate our voices, or maybe we just beat on our own personal pulpit and go to it, but anger can manifest itself in different ways. There is an anger that becomes seething. We're on the outside, there's a big smile, and, uh, you know, welcome. <laughs> you know, but those type of people I'm terrified of. <laughs> terrified. You know, because you can see it. You can tangibly know that it's there, but they're subverting it. They're hiding it well to keep appearances. I know that's none of you because we don't sin here at Oasis. I'm just so thankful for that. Uh, but... Some of us here are very outward in our anger and, uh, and by commission, and some of us are very inward by omission. We don't deal with our anger. We just push it in. And so the ones that push it in, eventually thermonuclear detonation occurs. If you've ever been around it, you know when it happens. You're like... I, I, I said this, I said worse last week, it doesn't matter. It built, it built, it built, and it's like, <laughs> just blows up. You know, there's other people who will be like, they'll just have their moment of stupidity and ignorance for about five minutes, and then it's over, and then you have to like deal with a lot of apologies and make things right. But it's sort of like you get it off your chest, but then you have to deal with how you do that. So the Bible is not really good with either one of those. Newsflash. So my, my push here is that we will find the Holy Spirit center and balance in how to deal with this this morning. So again, James chapter 1. Um, we have what's called in our culture now, it's called the credibility crisis as Christians. It used to be where if you are a pastor of a church or you're an upstanding person in the community that went to church, you were highly thought of, there was almost a get-out-of-jail-free card. Not exactly, but it was almost like you, could, you were just highly esteemed. But now, you in our, in our culture, in our world, there's a credibility crisis, and when you mention being a Christian, it is normally not looked at as being, that is so awesome, I've heard great things about you guys. It's normally like, Oh, yeah. You know, you start walking backwards on you. Oh, yeah. Oh, yep, there it goes. There, my room. I got to go now. Or it's like, oh, okay, uh, you're one of those. 
And I always have fun asking them, what do you mean? I don't say it like that. So define what one of those means. You know, they'll go, you know. I'm like, no, I really don't. Tell me. You know, and everyone has a different version of what that means. Some of it's because of our judgmentalness. Probably not a word. Don't correct me. You know, we just, we're judgmental. We just, like, we, we can get on our soapbox, our high horse, and point to everyone else's problems. Some of it is because that we might never want to admit that we're wrong about things. Some of it's because we live in unforgiveness and people can see it written over us. We think that we're presenting this wonderful picture of Jesus in us, but unforgiveness is all around us and people see it and they go, oh, you're one of those type of people. You know, they, some will view it of whatever political spectrum you fall on and, and we're not getting into one or the other and neither one of them are necessarily right, but we, we segment those. Some people go, well, you're this type of Christian or you're that kind of Christian. I'm like, just keep talking. Maybe you'll hit me and, and I'll own some of the things. But what for me, for me often it can be how I act when things don't go my way. How do you act when things don't go your way? So I just want to encourage us that um, the world views that we have a credibility crisis. Uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones said this. is a little bit long of a quote, so just however you can listen, bear with me. I am certain that the way we can attract the masses who are outside the church and outside Christ to the faith is to show that God is with us. People are not interested in something theoretical. The thing that always convinces people is reality. If they see there is something about our lives, a certain quality, a certain calmness and equanimity, the ability to be more than conquerors in every kind of circumstance, if they see that when everything is against us, we still triumphantly prevail, whereas they do not, they will become more interested in what we have. They, want to, they will want to know more about it. I'm convinced, therefore, that the greatest need today is Christian people who know and manifest the fact that they know the living God to whom his loving kindness is better than life. That's how we can fight against a credibility crisis. So let's look at James chapter 1, verse 18. This is sort of like the end of the last section, getting ready to go to the, the, the verse 19 through 27 or so. But verse 18, it says this. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth. Remember John 1, in the beginning was the word, the word's with God, and the word was God, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. The word of truth came, that we should be a kind of first fruits. Of his, create, of his creatures. Um, so a lot of times you might hear that we're to give of our first fruits. We are a, a, a symbol of first fruits. We're, the Holy Spirit is the deposit, sort of like a, a first fruit of things to come. We're called to give really the best of what there is to offer from a Christian life. But the problem is, oftentimes our first fruits can look like this. You ever gone in the fridge? Or check the fruit box, you know, and uh, you go there and it's like, well, we can just wash that off a bit. You know, just scrub it down some. Y'all don't do that, right? Just clean that off. What do you do with that, right? 
You toss it out. If you, we toss it out to the chickens, and they eat it. I don't know. They, they're bionic. Um, but we toss it out to them. They eat anything. They're like Mikey from the 80s. Some of you might remember. Young people have no idea who I'm talking about. But, you know, this is, this is not the kind of first fruits that God is talking about. Hebrews 11.4 says this. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts, as through, and through his faith, though he died, yet he still speaks. So you might remember the story, Adam and Eve, they ate of the what? Fruit. Right? And sin came into the world. Then they end up having children. And um, you know that Cain uh, raised, Cain raised like vegetables. He tilled the ground. And Abel, he, he raised animals. And there's a big theological debate on why God didn't like his offering, uh, Cain's offering. You know, some say, well, it's because God's offering is truly only of a uh, an animal or something like that. But that, that, I don't believe that's the case. I think it's all pointing to something about the heart, about our heart, about our first fruits, about what's really going on, not what we show the casual observer, but what God knows us to be. God is not interested in your outer ex- appearance. He's not interested that, you know, you, you look just right or have yourself all together or you have poise. There's nothing wrong with those things. But he is far more interested in your heart. He's far more interested in what goes on beneath the soil, if you would, beneath of, of us as people. And so he looked at uh, Cain's sacrifice, and it wasn't good. And he received Abel's sacrifice. James 1.19 says, Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Said in Eric's standard version, when you do what you want to do and you respond how you want to respond and you say what you want to say apart from the Spirit of God leading you, you will end up throwing out vile stuff, bitter stuff out to people who most likely you love, not all of them, but most likely are the people that you love and it produces anger and it does not bring about the righteousness of God. Now, you might be one of these theologically astute people here who are going to go, excuse me, Eric, I have the imputed righteousness of God in me. Jesus died and his sacrifice atoned for me and his righteousness was placed on me and my sin was placed on him and we believe all that, but there is a working of faith. There's not just a shallow how of faith, a sitting and, and holding a pew down of faith. There is an actually applying and, and being obedient to what Scripture says. And so when we give in to the things that we often have given into, and we're not quick to hear, we're not slow to speak, and we're fast to anger, we end up spouting things off and it does not bring on the righteousness of God. It affects our credibility crisis at home and it affects our credibility crisis at work 
when in the past I have gotten angry about something and I've done something, I have had someone go, well, I thought you were a pastor. And I'm like, there's nowhere that says a pastor doesn't sin. Just show me. There's nowhere it says there is one without sin as Jesus Christ. There's nowhere it says it. But they're looking, what do I do with that? There are times I've had to apologize and, and own up for what I've done when I've spoken out in anger. Hey, I did this, would you please forgive me? And they're just like, whoa, dude, you're, you're just getting way too serious. And they don't know how to handle that. Whoa, 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 it's not that big a deal. But it is. If we're Christians, our credibility crisis has to be fought by being credible people who, who act on what the scripture says, who are obedient to what Jesus says. Verse 21 says, therefore, all that is therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness. And that's just like a catch-all of all. And receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. I highlighted that implanted word. Just think about fruit. How is fruit produced? By seeds, right? Planted in soil. The seeds die. The seeds, when they're cared for in the garden, they begin to grow out. If they're really cared for, they produce greenery. They start to get alive. If they're continued to care for, they produce fruit. After they produce fruit, sometimes you have to clip some of the producing branches and they are a cut back, just like we are. And that implanted word is able to save our souls. Now, I don't want you to be confused by this. We are, our actions do not save us, but I believe that there is a saving of the soul here on earth and living in a healthy way, that we have life here on this earth, and it's not just we're waiting to go to heaven someday. I, I, that, that both parts are fine, but we need to have a implanted word in us, God's word in us, that just keeps getting planted in so that we produce life in what we say. So I just have to ask you to evaluate in the past week, how have your words produced fruit or not produced fruit? How have your words produced credibility or not produced credibility? How has your heart been at peace or not been at peace based on what's going on around you. The implanted word will give you the righteousness of God that will bring you peace if you walk with him in that. It's a promise from the word. Verse 22 says, but be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving yourselves. We could preach on this all year and we still won't get it. How many have come in here somewhere before, heard a sermon, gone, I mean, it's like, I don't know if you know this about me, but I, I hate the, the feedback. And I, don't like, I'm not, I don't mind genuine feedback on a sermon, but I, I totally get uncomfortable with that was a good sermon, you know, because I just sort of like, I cringe. And I, I thank you for doing it, but you know, the ones that really mean something are the ones that go, I heard this and I applied it. I'm like, say it again. You did what? Well, I applied it. 
You know, and, and you know, you know I, I can't do gymnastics and flips and stuff, but spiritually, that's what I do. When I hear, and I've heard that from some of you, God convicted me of this, and I heard that, and I asked for forgiveness, and I, and I went to another person and dealt with it, and I'm just like going, yes, I feel like a torch runner on the Olympics. But I don't feel that way oftentimes when it's like, hey, that was a good sermon. Nothing about you. Please don't feel bad about anything that you said to me. It's not the point. But if you really want to encourage my soul, hear what God has to say and learn it in your head. Let the spirit in your heart tell you what to do, not your emotions, the spirit of God by the word tell you what to do and then do it. And let me know that. I don't have to know specifics. Man, this like, hey, let me, God told me something through this. This is what I did generally. I give God glory for it. Oh, totally in. Love that. But oftentimes, we can hear it. Yep, that was a good sermon there. And we, we remember, and on Monday morning, if I were to give you a call, hey, what was the sermon on yesterday? Uh... We all do that. Application, application, application. In uh, the army, it was sort of like, you're gonna fight how you train. If you don't train, if you're not obedient in doing the word, if you're not doing the low crawling, if you're not firing the weapon when the war comes, you end up missing the target, not a good thing. So every week here, it should be just sort of like a doing battle together, of hearing the word and doing it, hearing it and doing it, under, and taking on sweet, um, and, and I say this genuinely, sweet conviction when the Spirit talks to us. If you feel condemnation from me, you're listening to the wrong Spirit. I know I can be direct. I know I can be somewhat type A. But if you hear condemnation, I don't want you to hear that. I want you to hear what the Spirit says and the kindness of the Lord brings us to repentance. And I want you to hear that gentle voice of God and do what God says, not what Eric says. But do it. Verse 23. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror for he looks at himself and goes away and at once forget what he looks like. That's Monday morning. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. So I could throw the hypothetical. Do you want to be blessed? If you're a Christian here, your answer is going to be what? Yes. Be obedient to God's word. Oh. I hate that it's simple, but it is very difficult to live out day by day. It is, his uh, burden is light if we are empowered by the Spirit to do it, but if we're just gutting it in tomorrow, I'm going to love that hateful coworker of mine. I've done that. Hey, how you doing? You know, and the, the, the sincerity just oozes from my voice. No? 
When the Spirit of God does it, it becomes genuineness. It becomes pure and right, and it flows through us. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Let me make it personal. If you think you are religious and you do not watch your tongue, hold your tongue, and you deceive your heart by thinking you're more religious than you really are or thinking you're more spiritual than you really are, your religion is worthless. Fair paraphrase? It's worthless. Does that mean Christ's atonement is worthless? No. You can't segment all these arguments in one little line. But what it means is my attempt at being religious, if I don't control my tongue, and if I believe the deceitfulness of my heart, and I act right on the outside, but on the inside I am a tomb, a whitewashed sepulcher, clean on the outside, but dirty on the inside, and inside I seethe with anger, but on the outside I try to act happy, that he's saying my religion is worthless. It's worthless. Have I been that person? Absolutely. Does that mean I'm worthless? No. But in that moment, in that period of time, undealt with, my attempts to show Christ are worthless. I'm better off to keep my mouth shut. That's why I don't have a Jesus-loving sticker on the back of my car. Anyway, verse... uh, (laughs) Verse 27... Religion that is pure and undefiled before God is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Serving, loving those who are hurting. That's a way to love people and show your love for God. But where are you? Look at Genesis 4 up on the screen here. But for Cain and his offering, God had no regard. So Cain was very angry, and his face fell. The Lord said to Cain, why are you angry, and why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. It's about our heart. It's about the fruit that resides in our refrigerator of our heart. We can fool a lot of people, but there are some people, ultimately, we can't fool God. And when, when Cain offered what wasn't his first fruits, I would say it was the smaller strawberries that were a bit more odd-looking, that maybe were just a little too ripe, that weren't useful for him that day, that he lumped those in a basket. Leroy, I'm going to put it your way. I I order crabs from Leroy. It's like, hey, Leroy, I want some uh, jumbo uh, Miles River crabs, man. Hook me up. And I open the box, and there's a bunch of paper shells that are about four inches wide. It's like, wait a minute, that's not what I asked for. Leroy goes, you're out of luck. 
But when God says to us, I want, you to be my, I want you to be my first fruits. I want you to be my representation of Jesus on this earth. I want you to live a life that's free from anger. Then when you come with your offering, your offering is going to be good. But if you're not coming with your first fruits and you're trying to bring God just the, the crap of your life, it's going to be like that strawberry. So look at the, sec- the picture here. In your heart, which basket are you this morning? What does God really see? I'm not talking about your wife, your, sp- or your spouse, your people around you, but what does God see in you this morning? Are any of us perfect in this? Absolutely not. I'm a dysfunctional basket. All right, I've got, but you know what happens when you got bad with the good, right? It begins to rot the good. So we're called to work that out, and that's what it says back in verse, uh, Genesis 4, 7. It's desire, sin is crouching at the door. It's desire is contrary to you, you, but you must rule over it. We must rule over our hearts. And that means we take action. We're people of action. Thinking without action is sterile. It doesn't produce fruit. We have to be people of action. We've got to be obedient to the word. We can't just come and hear and go nice sermon and go home and just live our merry way. It won't happen. The fruit will begin to die. 1 Peter 1.23 says, Since you have been born again, not of perishable seeds, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God, you have been born, if you are in Jesus Christ, you have an imperishable seed that God has given you to produce much fruit, that God has given you to not live a perfect life, but it's a life that is lived daily to give honor and glory to Jesus Christ. That is a life that is not about you. It's not about how people affect you. It's not about the anger that you store inside because those stored anger batteries will build up and build up and build up and it will seep into the life around you. It will cause issues. Frankly, and I, I am gonna close, but I was gonna say one of my biggest, one of my biggest lessons as a father one of God's most sanctifying works as a father is to honestly work through the anger that was in my heart and walk in grace. It's a lifelong lesson, but it was serious work. It wasn't just something like, hey, this week I'm gonna walk in grace and not in anger. It didn't happen. It's, it's, it's been, a, it's been a, a matter of years just walking in that I am not gonna allow anger to get stored up and built up inside and just throw it out on everyone. Do I mess up still? Yes. But cleaning that fruit off, keeping a healthy heart, if you would, has, is what Jesus came here for, to save us ultimately and to give us the ambassadorship to be his representatives here on earth and to trust him and to use his Holy Spirit to do all these things, not of our own strength. So the book of James is about faith working. This morning is your faith working. Are you working out your salvation with fear and trembling? Are you producing fruit? Or is the fruit of your heart dead? Fruit hanging on the vine that sat too long, just hangs and begins to wither, right? And it dies. 
this morning as we come to the table, Jesus has offered that there are, he, he is the God of second chances and third chances and 70 times seven and all that stuff, but I would encourage you to once again come and just recommit. This isn't anything for us to see or for you to pronounce on, but say, God, I want to produce fruit in my life. I want to be genuine before you. And so as you come, we want to encourage you to do that work with the Lord. We want you to, to um, consider and remember what Jesus did on the cross, that great transaction. For those who are regular tenders, we come back to give of our first fruits of our offerings, our tithes and offerings. It's not what's left. It's like we give of our first fruits. And it's also a time for prayer. If you, if you need prayer for something, we'd love to pray for you. We could either go in the back or stay right here. Just if you want prayer, we'd love to offer that for you. So would you please stand as we get ready to come? Lord God, I thank you that James is a very practical book. It also runs deep, and it has a lot of theological implications But Lord, this morning, I pray that the fruit of our life would be good. Lord, that it would be consumed by those around us, that they they see, they taste and see that you are good because we're producing good fruit. Lord, they're not repulsed by the dying fruit basket. Lord, we want to honor you as we remember your son's sacrifice this morning and pray that, Lord, that Uh, We would never forget what he did and, Lord, what he is doing and what he will continue to do the other side of heaven. Jesus, we love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.